Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mac and Cheese, episode number 54. I'm Mac Mail. And I'm Graham Hicks. And today we've got a bunch of topics on the agenda, but the first thing, we've got to talk about the big event that everybody went to on the weekend. Crash Dice. Crash Dice. Red Bull's Crash Dice. Big, uh, you know, ice surface slalom thing that goes kind of around the Shaw Conference Center into the River Valley. And looked really cool at nighttime. It looked awesome at nighttime. Those guys are crazy. They hurl themselves down here on skates, wearing helmets, doing jumps. Um, but it was a huge, it looked like anyway, success for Edmonton. Lots of people went and checked it out. Did you go look? I followed it uh, on my computer. Ah, it was lots of people posting about it. <laughs> yeah, but also the uh, there was a link to the actual whoever's actually broadcasting it. Yep. So I was watching it as being streamed. It was great. Oh, that's right. I they streamed in it the online. the comfort of my, in- my own room and, well, not that I'm drinking these days, but you know, I've had that conversation with you before. Yeah. Cool to see, though. You know, I'm happy for you kids. 70,000 people showed up, about 30,000 more than they expected. Right. I think the weather did play a factor. I mean, it was one of the most beautiful nights you could ever have in March. It was incredibly right. warm. I mean, yeah. to the point that everyone was worried that the ice would just melt. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was surprised they were actually able to go, you know. But it, uh, kudos to whoever the technicians were because the, uh, the, the racers weren't complaining. It was a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun. I think probably well worth the city was saying at four hundred thousand that, yep. that we put in. Yeah, yeah. For that that kind of exposure is probably going to be pretty healthy. It 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 beat the numbers. The whole justification for the uh, the car race. What was it called? The Ch- IndyCar. The IndyCar thing yeah. was you know with millions and millions and millions of dollars. Right. Uh, with negligible. This is this one you can't complain about. Good investment in in city marketing. I think it's interesting too. With Indy, you've probably got. A pretty good, you know, number of Edmontonians who consider themselves racing fans and they're into it and there's like a community there, whereas Crash Dice, I don't think, you know, it's not like there was a ton of people already following this in Edmonton. So it's kind of, you know, it doesn't have that same element of, oh, that's only for the racing people. You know, everybody kind of felt like, hey, this is new and different and we should go support it. It's the transformation from being a specialized event to a party, a big city party. And at the end of winter, great night. Everyone can't. We are, despite everyone running around with their little headphones in and not talking to anybody, people like to be where people are. They right. enjoy the buzz. There's just that that need for human beings to connect, right? Reminded me a bit about the, like the Grey Cup parties that were downtown. Had in the 2010. Same, same kind of feel, same kind of real. And it, again, the more the merrier. Everyone looks around and says, wow, we're part of this. This, this is so cool. Yeah, people love to be part of the spectacle in a little, in a little way, right? So. Yeah, so what's the story on it coming? And also... Uh, glitch-free. I mean, yes, there was some worry about the track, but, you know, nobody got hurt. Nobody fell off the top of the Shaw Center and plunged into the river. It was, it's nice when these things get get carried off picture perfect. Yeah, I mean, there was, I think, some things that could have been improved. So, unfortunately, they had a power outage with the LRT. Oh, yeah. Oh, that must have been a pain in the wazoo. And they had the LRT shut down for most of the weekend, which was not smart, though they did turn it back on for the crash dice time. But so then they had a power outage there. during the... But then they had a power outage. They had Grote Road closed for the uh, 102 of Bridge disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, they did, I think, underestimate, I heard, the number of police they needed. But yes. again, that's because the, uh, the, the attendance was so much greater. And so they had to bring in some additional resources. But that all went pretty smoothly, as far as I know. Yeah. And again, there was no reports of, of drunkenness or riots or, or anything. Was just there was some vandalism. The building oh. that I work in, there was a broken door, glass door, but that stuff happens. Exactly. There's always going to be, there's always a few yahoos, no matter what. Right? Yeah. And you can't do anything about them. So, yeah. So, good parties are coming back. 
Well, I, the article I read said the organizers are hopeful. The last, I think, nine finals have been in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a pretty big win for Edmonton to get this event. And I think it went well, and it certainly exceeded their local expectations. So hopefully we get it back again. Now, I wonder if this is someone like the rodeo, if, if Quebec City had a contract that was ending and they put it out to, to tender and Edmonton came up with a better one, was it just an interim deal? But there is no contract at this point to do two or three of these things. That's my understanding. Uh, so Red Bull's kind of in the driver's seat here. Definitely. They definitely is it their are. event? Like, do they actually own the event? Is as far they? as I know, yeah. yeah. Smart marketing, those boys. I know. Whoa. They're really good at it. <laughs> Apparently, uh, there was a couple, I was on a couple of organizations that were wondering if we could set up booths, right? No, 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 no. This is Red Bull and Red Bull only. Yeah, they had Sorry. kiosks around selling drinks, and you could only get Red Bull, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the articles I read said that uh, some of the fans who had been to the Quebec ones saw the Edmonton one came and they were disappointed in the layout. They couldn't see things as well. But for all the new people that were there in Edmonton, it was a huge positive success. Nobody was complaining. So maybe they'll tweak it if it comes back in future years, but it seemed like it went fairly well. There was some talk about running it at the ledge, but I don't think that it wouldn't have the same drama or effect as being right downtown. Drama is a good word. Like you see the way that it wrapped through the, from the downtown through into the river Valley. It's cool. So cool. So cool. Crazy skaters, those and a guys. great opportunity for photographers. Some Ama- amazing mm. photos out there of <laughs> the lights at night. So yes, let's hope it comes back. Uh, maybe have two nights rather than one. Yeah. Uh, well, there was two whatever. this year too, right? There was, well, but nobody qualify. knew about it. That was a weird thing. They put all their effort into promoting the Saturday, but mm. there was the team event on the Friday. So I got to go on Friday as well, and I got yeah. right near the finish line because mm. there weren't as many people. Could you build it out a bit? Could you have other events, like something happening across the river in Gallagher Park? Or, or you know, I'm wondering if you could kind of create this to be a whole thing downtown in the River Valley. Why not? I think that'd be awesome. With our luck, it'd be minus 30 next year. <laughs> we'll have to see how the weather goes. <laughs> but I think that'd be really cool. There's lots of people s- sitting by the Queen across the river yes. to be able to look across. And I went over there and took some photos. And I hope you didn't cross the rotten ice. No, I <laughs> safely used the bridge. <laughs> Don't worry. Good. Yeah, great event. Uh, so glad it all went well, and uh, let's do it again. Sounds good. So related to this, there was this new group that I heard about called, I think they're calling themselves Celebrate Edmonton, and they sponsored the VIP section of Crash Dice as kind of their coming out party. And I just wanted to get your opinions on them because it's a loose coalition, they say, of businesses. There's you know, the usual suspects. It's led by Epcor. But I think we've seen this before, have we not? We have seen it before, but uh, there's some merit in the idea. Number one, it's all, it's it's a coalition of the city's biggest companies, right? All the CEOs are, got together for a couple of drinks and dreamed this thing up. Yep. There's always been this issue that we, we now are reaching the skill sets. They need to recruit an awful lot around the world. No one's ever heard of Edmonton. We are still changing an image, takes years and years and years. We're probably about five years into a 10-year project. You know, and I think those of us that, that live here, we've seen a change within Canada, perhaps, and Edmonton keeps sneaking its way up. But trying to recruit internationally is a tough sell, and they simply want to have some sort of gentle propaganda that says, hey, it's, you know, it's a, it might be cold, and it might be landlocked, and it might be remote, but it sure is a great place. Yeah, and they want to be and able to talk about the energy and all the, the new stuff that's happening, it seemed like. Yeah, so sure. Why not? They're not going to spend any money. They're not going to spend government money on it. So It's all private money, right? It's well, all their companies. They had the Oilers involved, and they had a couple of those guys you know, Instagramming from the top of the course and stuff like that. I've always wanted to uh, 
to create a job for myself with the economic development where you go through every single media, online, digital, print, and every time they mention Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, and uh, Calgary, right? Yep. You send them a letter or something. You send something. And you say, guys, hello, here's the fifth city. And you give them three paragraphs. And you just keep at it so much. You hound them so mercilessly that they say, oh, my God, if we don't put in Edmonton with the other f- top five, we're going to get pounded. So we'll add it. We'll add it. Okay. Make those letters from Graham Hicks stop. <laughs> Start mentioning Edmonton. Yeah. But now I'm going to retire soon. Do I really want to? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So you think it's not a bad thing. Don't know what they'll do, really, but... See where it goes. Maybe they'll get some brainwaves and do some cool stuff. You never know. But, uh, yeah. yeah. There's worse things they could be spending money on, I guess. So. Exactly. And, and go. it's good. I think it's more, what I find more interesting is that the CEOs are willing to put some time and effort. I mean, they're very, very busy guys. Definitely. But it's they're showing community spirit by doing this. Uh, leading so. by example. Exactly. Cool. We're on to a very interesting topic called wetlands. Wetlands. All right. The city is developing out this big, big chunk of land in the southeast. They're saying the last basically undeveloped land within the within the city boundaries as they now stand, correct? Yeah. There's uh, uh, the last of the urban growth areas that they annexed back in the 80s. Exactly. And there's some to-do going on about the developers feeling that uh, the, the province has upcoming stricter wetlands policy, reclamation, preservation, whatnot. And they're kind of saying, city, help. We need help. We can't. We, we, we have to increase our densities, and we got to drain some of this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Is that what they're saying, though? I wasn't clear if the province was actually asking anyone for help or if the city was just trying to figure out what this is going to mean. The developers in the uh, Urban Development Institute, which is their basic mouthpiece, is pushing to maybe it's a proactive before it happens thing, but saying we're worried that we're, uh, regulations are going to take an awful, awful lot of the land we want to develop and put it into uh, preservation, preserved wetlands. I don't quite get this mm-hmm. because we've seen several times now, I'm thinking specifically of the development on the south side of Big Lake up in the northwest, right? Okay. Where developers and ecologists and environmentalists have very successfully merged and found ways to use wetlands as part of the natural runoff not only preserving and making a, a beautiful place for people to live, thereby driving, you know, making the value of the houses better, but actually having a practical function in terms of drainage. And I don't quite understand why developers can't build around natural things to create them and create value there that, that we have a win-win-win. I just don't get it. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm scared that there's suddenly they, what they want to do is do the old Miller Woods poster stamp lots with big houses completely asphalted in everywhere, not a tree to be seen, those damn garages in the front with this. I mean, to me, that's suburban horror, but. So doesn't it just come down to numbers? So this is the number from the city report on the wetlands that I thought was really interesting. Currently, they have this compensation rate. So if you're going to develop something over top of the wetlands, Mm -hmm. you need to pay a compensation rate for the loss of that natural resource, right? It's $19,000 a hectare. But in some of those areas, the land is worth $300,000 a hectare. So why would a developer try to save it if they could pay a tiny fraction of the value and just get rid of it? Doesn't it just come down to dollars and cents? Isn't that why they're trying to make this policy maybe a little bit more toothy? We've had, but we've had... 
a whole pile of enlightened developers make very good money out of combining environmental features with development. Yeah. Right. Yes, maybe you have to up prices a bit. Uh, maybe we settle for higher density on the land that can be developed in return for, I mean, just imagine you, you live in a high-rise downtown. Yeah. Well, imagine if you had a beautiful park right outside your door. That you could go down and sunbathe and play. <laughs> and you know me, Graham. I'm yeah. such a sunbather. <laughs> you could run around outside all winter. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, wouldn't that be some compensation for, you know, so we have urban living. Uh, maybe I'm a romantist, but I think it can be done. We've seen it done. Let's do this really intelligently. And save the wetlands is what you're saying. And save the wetlands. Uh, the other thing the report pointed out that I thought was interesting was it already within Edmonton, there's 1,100 hectares of wetlands, and it's about 1.6% of our land base. And this new policy could maybe add another 600 hectares, I guess. You could never have enough green space. I think that's true. Now, you wanted to talk about sort of uh, those kind of people that were sympathetic to gone berserk, and that's called the Community Energy Transition Plan. Yeah, this thing came up at council, and I wasn't on my radar at all, but I thought it was kind of interesting, and there's a lot of information in that report, way more than I had time to read. <laughs> so if you want to dig into it, you can. But it really, it seems to be about reducing our reliance on fossil fuels and trying to be a little bit more environmentally friendly uh, to hopefully deliver some value to Edmontonians in the long run. From whom is this report? Uh, from the city administration. So okay. this is an administration-produced report for council's consideration. So could be a city uh, of Edmonton strategic objective, could be coming from the way ahead. Suggesting 20-year goals from now of a 35% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from the city as a whole. By 2035, yeah. 25% reduction in energy consumption. Per person. Per person, well, 25%. And then 10% locally generated power. Yeah, we were talking just before this about what yeah. that means by locally, because you have the local 100-mile diet or something. Is it the same for energy? I don't know. Is it, does it include all the power stations at Wetaskiwin? Yeah, I <laughs> mean, does. what's hmm. local, right? I've got huge problems with these people. And they want to spend money, which is the part I oh, think that, yeah, you're, that you're upset yeah, about. Yeah, $2 million one year, $2 million the next, and then, oh, just a mere $28 million for a couple of years. Don't worry, but... Look at the long benefits and the side and the soft, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know what they're planning to spend Kay. it on, but... Here's my... I think these people are turning into the old... Uh, I won't say Luddites, but I think their thinking is very, very outdated, and they're so stuck in their paradigm of greenhouse gas reduction and all that, they're no, they've, they've lost sight of some self-evident truths that are coming up. And I think this is what I, I always call this the radical right of fossil fuels, right? Number one, greenhouse gas emissions... There's an awful lot of hope now. China, the people in China are rising up. They're sick of being choked to death by their own air pollution. The government's top priority is to try and do just clean up their air, right? It's just such a big thing. They're already producing 25% of their power from renewable sources. They want to slowly get rid of those coal plants, which are, what, something like 75% of greenhouse gas emission is coming from coal-fired electrical plants in China, right? They get a handle on that. At the same time, the United States is the second worst polluter, which is all coal-fired gas plants, right? The well, worst per capita probably, but yeah. yeah. But I think they have a 20-year plan in regulation. They must reduce the amount of coal burning 
by 25, 25 to 30%, I think it is, within the next 10, 15 years. Even in Canada, we have a, a changeover plan. Everyone is moving away from the, the premier source of greenhouse gas emissions. But isn't it fair to say the only hope is if China and the United States get their butts but together? It's and happening. Yeah, but if they don't do, if they don't follow through and actually get anything done, does it matter what the rest of us do? Thank you. That's kind of the point, though, right? Thank you, yeah. yeah. Number two is I've never heard any environmentalist... That doesn't mean that we give, shouldn't do something, by the way. <laughs> ...give any weight to the fact that, that fossil fuels have been so dramatically cleaned up in the last 20 years, and we're only in the infancy of the technology that will continue to clean them up more and more and more. So I see your previous point, and I, I think we should still ha- play our part. But if it's a clean fossil fuel or not, isn't it still a fossil fuel? It's no, still what's, bad, what's, right? Why is it bad? It's still going into the atmosphere. No, if it's clean, that means it has next to no emissions. Not no emissions. Not no it's emissions, a different but thing. next to no. What that we can easily live with, which is not going to cause global warming and turn all of North America into a parched da- desert and have the waters of the oceans rise up three feet. You know it ain't going to happen. You don't think so? No. Okay. Not at all. So and I do think that we have to understand that fossil fuels will are very close already to being environmentally competitive with sustainable renewable. And we have so much fossil fuels that they are in fact sustainable if you want to use that definition of extending into thousands of years from now. Why are why is everyone so dead fossil fuels bad despite this incredible Mounds and mounds of data and technology, technological improvements that are still producing very clean power at 10% of the cost of, of other power sources. And now I'll also throw in a caveat with that. I am delighted to see that solar heating, solar panels and stuff are almost becoming competitive with the grids now. Yeah. I think that's fabulous. If Batteries I was building a new too. house, I would look very, very much at solar energy to, to if I can drop my energy load, but it doesn't need to be subsidized. Well, and there's arguments from companies like Tesla, you know, the electric car company, that they're going to be able to sell batteries for your house. So you could run your house on these super high-capacity, high-efficiency batteries. But What about the argument that it's super dirty process to make and dispose of big batteries? Well, that's part of what they're working on, I guess. Like you say, this marching forward of technology, right? Yeah. But, I mean, the science is clear that if we don't take dramatic action, we're going to be in trouble. I think that's not in dispute. Except so, that Al Gore's so, film was, what, 20 years ago? But this is recent but, okay. recent data, right? But if you took the predictions they were making in that film, the oceans would now be two and a half feet higher and we'd all be parched desert. Well, I don't think that's Hasn't true. Happened. Not that quickly. But I think if we don't change course, the science is clear that something bad's going to happen. So anyway, even if we disagree on the green no, part of this... we are changing course. It's a question of how we're changing course. Or how course. quickly we're changing course, right? Yeah. But even if we disagree on the green part of this, what about the other angle that I kind of got from this report, which is that the city maybe sees this as an economic development opportunity for Edmonton. We've talked on this show in the past about diversifying income and revenue sources. Couldn't this be you know, us selling green technology to the rest of the world like we're doing with waste management, for instance? Do you realize in how many cities around the world the same conversation takes place? That may be true. There's already places in the world, the centers of excellence in in alternative energy that are so far ahead of we are. (laughs) But that doesn't mean we can't try, right? The irony is here, we are, if it comes out of the oil and gas technology that we developed, we, our great expertise is in what's in our backyard. 
It's an efficiently extracting and the new technologies that all have to do with extracting fossil fuels out of the ground. And we, we are world leaders in that technology. I have a difficult time justifying that we would then pour money into something that unless some great entrepreneur comes along with a new process and manages to develop it. But that it's not going to happen by any government policy. No, it's going to be, you think, private innovation that's going to drive some of that. Uh, it has to be. Well, the, city, the, the reason I ask is because the city has yeah. done some pretty innovative we've, exportable things with waste management, right? But we haven't. We've So far, it's cost us about $50, $50 million to $100 million. We've been paying three times as much as any other cities for, for garbage disposal, but for a good thing because it's very environmental. We have not yet monetized that kind of stuff that's happening at that waste excellence center. Or not to the extent that maybe you think we should have. Because they are no, starting no, to monetize it, right? Yeah, but my point is the same thing. You sit there with, you know, little sugar plum fairies. Oh, well, maybe we could start to do this or whatever. Guys, the oil and gas thing took 50, 60 years to get to where it's at. We have huge expertise. That expertise will probably be transferred to alternative technologies as well. That is where our knowledge industry will go. You know? Well, it sounds an awful lot like we can't do any better and we should just stick to oil, and that's pretty depressing, Graham. Oh, come on. Not if it's all cleaned up and as as competitive. I would be so excited to have environmentally competitive fossil fuels. <laughs> well, I think we can agree that the price of solar is going down, and that's a good thing, but that's I'm not sure thing. how much else we're agreeing on I'm here. I'm all for alternative energy as long as we don't have to uh, subsidize it. Okay. So we're running out of time here, but we've got one more topic we wanted to cover. Whole Foods. Whole Foods. Yeah, just a nice little footnote. Whole Foods is a, a very interesting American grocer who kind of specializes in, in they call organic, it more organic. Right? Yeah. But the I've been to their store in West Van, Vancouver, and thanks be to God, it's not granola. It's not whole earth foods. It's a it's a really well done, high quality overall grocery store with all kinds of beautiful, interesting things. These guys are really, really good at what they do. And the prices are competitive. Yeah. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's it's a next step up from a, a superstore and and probably the next rung up from Savon, which tends to be, you know, Savons are a little more expensive, but they're, they're, their veggies all look so beautiful and whatnot, right? Yeah, definitely. So this is going to be a store that, that uh, will take, but man, the, the variety and the interesting things they have, and you know, you, you start spending 60 bucks before you know it, because you look and say, oh, that looks so interesting. Yeah, I've been to Whole Foods in the States, and it's a, it's a great store. What, it's going on Calgary Trail, right? Yeah. What do you think about the location? Well, you got to go where the people are. I mean, I feel like the reason they went there is parking, but uh, probably you kind of would have expected. And what's wrong with that? Well, wouldn't you expect them to go somewhere central where you would think that uh, their larger customer base lives? <laughs> I don't know. There's only ten thousand of you downtown. No, but downtown Oliver, there's you know thirty thousand people. Yeah, but out there, there's a hundred thousand. But they're very spread out, Graham. and they're very spread out with families. Very spread out. <laughs> Maybe they could put a, a satellite store downtown in the old Sobeys on, on Jasper and 104th. Well, yeah, this is what I'm thinking. Why not move there, there right? Because well, they've got the financial resources to actually make a go of it in that place, right? Well, they, listen, let them open up their big superstore size thing in the south, and then they can come downtown. Well, that'd be great. Get on that. <laughs> as long as it makes money for them. Make that happen. <laughs> I didn't bring any more cheese again. I'm being a bad boy. All right. The trouble is with our new digs here, there's no cheese shop downtown except for the cavern on 103rd Street. 104. 104th Street. And there's nothing between there and the rest of downtown for good cheese. You have we to need go to a Whole Foods. Street. We need a Whole Foods. <laughs> Precisely. 
All right. Well, check us out at macandcheese.ca. Next time, we'll be back with uh, cheese, hopefully. I promise. I hope. I remember. <laughs>